0: Well, if you will, uh, open your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah chapter 7. Again, we are going to look at all 14 verses of Zechariah chapter 7. And we're, lit, we're in a little bit of a, a pivot within the book of Zechariah. Admittedly, we've been journeying through this book for the past number of months, and we've experienced something of a, a long night for the prophet Uh, He has had vision after vision after vision, dream after dream after dream, and he was uh, utterly restless. We we know something of those nights, don't we, when we have these dreams that, that seemingly don't ever stop in the midst of the night? I was having a, a, what we would call a nightmare the other night, and I, I woke myself up, coming to myself, and I walked down to the kitchen. I got a drink of water. I even woke Beth up because it frightened me in such a way. I was like, you, you've got to listen to this nightmare I was having. Uh, and, and she made it through my explanation of what was going on, and so I fell back asleep, being comforted by my wife, and it seemed as if that nightmare... Continued on exactly where I left off. It was the craziest experience. but that's something of what Zechariah has faced in this sleepless night. And in this pivot, we're, we're moving from these visions, these dreams that he was having in the midst of the night, to this really this long, somewhat of a sermon that he's preaching in verses or in chapters seven and eight. And then in chapters nine through the rest of the book that we'll handle in the new year after Advent, he begins to tell of prophecies that the Lord has given him concerning the coming of King Jesus. Chapters 1-6 through has really been focusing on the the vision of the coming kingdom, if you will, what the kingdom of God is going to be like. And then in chapters 9 through the rest of the book, it will be what this king is going to be like. But here in chapters 7 and 8 is something of a pivot to, to, to reorient ourselves to this king. And of course, this king that is coming, what's going to be described here, is this king that is coming is going to be one where justice and mercy meet. It's going to be one, as the Apostle John says in John chapter 1, where grace and truth kiss one another, as John uses the words of the psalmist. And it's a call, really. It's a call not only to righteous living, but it's a call for our hearts to be focused on, oriented to, wholly devoted to our Christ. And so I want to read these 14 verses for us, and then we're going to look at the context for just a minute, and then we'll begin to dissect this chapter together. Hear now the word of God, people of God, for it's written for you In the fourth year of the king Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sharazer and Ragamelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, talking about Zechariah, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these seventy years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous? With her cities around her, and the south and the lowland were inhabited. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder. And stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by His Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, and they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for it. Well, in this pivotal moment here within the book of Zechariah, up to this point, we have heard messages of encouragement and reassurance from the prophet Zechariah. The burden of Zechariah's ministry, the messages of these visions of the first six chapters, they have reminded these weary people of God that the work that they have done thus far has not been in vain, and even the best days were to come. You remember the visions in which God has told the people that He is with them amongst the myrtle trees, or or that the temple will finally be built and prosper, prosperous years were, were coming in the future. And of course, these discouraged people had been hard-pressed, but when Zechariah began to tell them these messages of grace and deliverance, as he began to preach these messages of salvation and victory for God's people and destruction for God's enemies, they had been uplifted and their work had been reestablished And and actually up to this point in Zechariah chapter 7, it had been very successful. The walls of, of the city had grown by feet each day. The, the temple at this point was probably about halfway through its completion. Most historians and most commentators believe that the, the gap between chapter 6, where, where Zechariah puts that intertwined crown on the head of Joshua talking about this coming king who would also be the priest, the intercessor. It's about two years of a span that, that, that Zechariah the prophet had taken somewhat of a sabbatical, if you will. And now as his ministry is being reestablished, there is actually quite the buzz, we might say, going on about the city of Jerusalem, the temple, the, the re-inauguration of, of the priest as we see here in chapter 7. There's so much excitement within the city. And yet, here it is that Zechariah really begins to preach a hard message in the midst of Jerusalem. In fact, the the same message in which Zechariah is preaching here uh, that might seem a little obscure to us is, is actually the same message in which Jesus preaches in the Gospel of Matthew repeatedly throughout that Gospel to the Pharisees and the scribes. If you've been with us on on Wednesday nights, we've been journeying through the Sermon on the Mount very slowly, finishing up the Beatitudes last Wednesday evening. And throughout the, the lessons on the Beatitudes even, we've been mentioning, Pastor Don and myself, we've been preparing you really for what was about to come. Because Jesus has been talking about a kingdom in which He was building the the ideal kingdom citizen of heaven. He has been talking about what true righteousness looks like, and and yet he's been pointing to the Pharisees this whole time going, and true righteousness isn't them. And and what Jesus will move into, now that we're coming out of the Beatitudes, is that the Pharisees are, are full of outward expressions of religion, and yet their hearts are hardened. And the same response in which Jesus faces from the pharisees and the scribes one of hate one of death remember it's the religious establishment that ultimately puts christ to death at the hand of the romans will be the same will be the same response that zachariah faces in the end of his ministry that will come in just a few years after he preaches this message in zachariah chapter 7. Because remember, I told you that Jesus' indictment against the religious establishment in the Gospel of Matthew just isn't in chapters 5 through 7. It actually is most powerfully preached, I think, in Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus issues these woes, these indictments against the Pharisees and the scribes. And he says this just listen, this is right out of Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but inwardly are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And you know it's this message that puts the Pharisees and the scribes and and even the Sadducees, because they've been brought into the fight against Jesus at this point, it's these messages that they say, we must get rid of Him. And in that same chapter, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus will predict his death again, and he will say it will be the same death that he will face that Zechariah faced long ago. And if you know the story of Zechariah, and if you know the story in which Jesus is referencing here, Zechariah will be put to death right there in the midst of the temple that his ministry encouraged the people of God to build. But Zechariah, because of his call to repent, for his call of justice and mercy, for his call for the people here in, in Zechariah 7 to, to turn away from hardened hearts, to turn away from, from these, outward, you know, these outward expressions of religion, but, but really it's just empty. Turn away from these religious performances, if you will, If you will turn away from those things and turn your hearts to Jesus, you will be saved. And and what the Lord says here is for those who will not, for those who make their, their hearts, it's very kind of descriptive here, diamond hard, you will face an eternal exile like the people of God tasted for 70 years. Before they were allowed back into Jerusalem. And so, the same call of repentance, excuse me, and and real heartfelt, heart changed religion that Jesus preaches throughout the Gospel of Matthew is the same call here in Zechariah 7. And, And let us just look at this chapter for a few moments. Most commentators say that Jesus is is somewhat of a of, of a heart doctor here and he's describing for the people of people of God he's calling them to repentance because they have three diseases I, I actually think that they have one disease that that we really get down to the 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 foundation of what's wrong in the third in the third description so I think it's one disease with three descriptions and this is this is the first thing that he says in verses 4 through 7. You see the, the, these two ambassadors, if you will, from the neighboring city of Bethel. You see so many exiles had returned from the Babylonian Empire at this point that they were establishing or reestablishing cities even outside of Jerusalem. And so Bethel's just right outside of Jerusalem. These two ambassadors uh, with the, the funny Hebrew names, they, they come to Jerusalem to ask a question about worship. Are we still to fast on, the, uh, on, this, on this fifth month of the year as we have done for many years? Now, a good Old Testament Bible reader will know what this, what this fast is all about. It was a month-long fast so that they might mourn the sins that put them into Babylonian captivity. It was a fast so that they might yearn and, and, and long for the days that Jerusalem is reestablished. And so, since they're back in Jerusalem, since the temple's being rebuilt, since the city is seeing seeing some real prosperous moments, even in its infancy, these these two ambassadors, they're coming back and going, well, do we really have to fast anymore? Look, things are going well here in Jerusalem. Don't you think we can take this fast off, Zechariah? And the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah. Notice it's not Zechariah's response, it's the Lord's response. And he calls them out for this, this empty religious performance, we might say. He says, say to the people and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and then in the seventh month for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? Or was it for yourself? Is what's being implied here. Well, you might think, well, nobody's fasting for themselves. If you fasted for any extended period of time, you know how hard it is to fast. You know, it's one of those things that you really have to to work towards. It's one of those things that you really have to work to complete. We go through the the daily operation, right? We, We eat. Some of us eat more than others. But there's a habit that goes on where we eat something like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Or, or we eat snacks along the way. And so a fasting is an intentional moment where, where we say I'm not going to partake of food for this day, for this week, for this month so that I might cast all of my attention upon Christ, seeking His will, seeking His good, seeking His glory for my life. It's a very intentional thing and it's actually quite a difficult thing if you've ever done it. And so you might say, well, nobody's ever fasted for themselves. The Pharisees did. Remember what Jesus says to the Pharisees in the Sermon on the Mount. You fast so that you can, you know, rough up your hair, so that you can wear sold clothes, so that you might walk around and go, hey, listen, I've been fasting for three days. Look how religious I am. Look how I, I have this right standing with God. And Jesus says, you fast for all the wrong reasons. You're fasting so that people might look at you and applaud you and and think how holy you are, but you're really not seeking after me. You see, what the Lord Jesus wants us to do when we're fasting is saying, listen, Jesus, I don't need this earthly bread. I need the bread of life. Jesus, I don't need the things of this world. You will give me the things of the world when I need them. I'm going to put them aside and I'm going to cling to the throne of mercy. I always love the, the illustration that Dr. Kelly gives with, with fasting. He says, prayer is taking one hand off the world and putting it on the throne of heaven. But when we fast, we're taking the other hand off the world and putting it on the throne of heaven, saying, I have nothing to grasp hold to, nothing that this world has to offer that I care anything about. I only care what you want me to do, what You want me to be. And so when they fasted, the Lord says here, they were fasting for themselves. They were fasting because they didn't like being in the bondage of Babylon. It wasn't that they wanted and desired to be back in the Lord's presence. You see, there's a difference. There's a difference. You might not like your circumstances, but you... Might not be, Lord, I don't want to be in these hard, suffering circumstances, so I might be in the blessing of the Lord. It just might be, I don't like this circumstance. And that's exactly what the what the people here. This is what was being prescribed to them or described for them. They just found themselves in a need for them. It had nothing to do with religion. It had nothing to do with their love for the Lord. It was all external. It was all for them. But you see, as, as the text continues here, how these hollow religious performances, how they were all to glorify self, it, it actually revealed something even deeper. And this, it was a, in verse 7, I think we can call it an indifference to the Lord. Not only were they going through the outward motions of religion, but actually inwardly they had an indifference to what the Lord desired for them. Look back at verse 7. Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? What, What the Lord's saying is, I handed out to you. I offered you real changed hearts. You see, what Jesus is concerned about in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is concerned about in Matthew chapter 23, what Zechariah is getting to here is that the Lord, the Lord, yes, desires good deeds, but He despises those deeds when they come from a wicked heart. The Lord is all about a changed heart that reveals itself in good deeds. Not outward trappings of religion. And your heart be hard. And so what's here in verse 7 is, I've held out to you the gospel. I've proclaimed to you the words of my mouth from the former prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. You've heard the word of God, and yet you are indifferent to them. You are indifferent to them. It's really a, a heartbreaking, sobering, Description here in verse 7. And I think it's actually one that we need to heed really well. We really need to listen to this because what what it's saying here is that there is a heart posture that can hear the Word preached and be completely indifferent to what the Word of God says. That's dangerous. It's, It's dangerous for us to hear the Word read and preached and then to meet it with an indifferent heart. What Jesus is saying in the first little bit uh, through the prophet Zechariah with these empty religious performances, he says, it is evil and wicked for you to go throughout the worship of the Lord and it all be empty. He's saying it's actually wicked for you to to, to stand for a call to worship, to, to sing psalms and hymns of praise, to, to confess the faith, to... To pray and, and, and offer your amen to the pastoral prayer. He's saying that it's wicked and evil to do that with an unchanged heart. But it's dangerous, he says. To sit under the word preached and meet it with an indifferent heart. What's an indifferent heart? An indifferent heart is one that sits under the word preached and then goes and lives like the world shrugs their shoulders and says, it doesn't matter what God's Word says, I'm going to live in this way. And so it's dangerous, beloved, to to sit under the word preached and then to to go out and live a life of sexual immorality. It's dangerous. It's spiritually dangerous for us to sit under the word preached and then be berating our children or our spouse. It's dangerous. It's spiritually dangerous for us to sit under the word preached and then go about a life where we're doing immoral things in the workplace. Whatever it might be, the sins of our folly. It's dangerous when we sit under the word preached and then we walk out the doors of the church and we go, you know what? The word preached does not matter. The things I heard from Pastor Matter, Pastor Don, mean nothing to me. I'm going to live in this way. It's a heart that is indifferent. Is a heart that's indifferent to the Word of God. That's what he's talking about here in verse 7. But then he shows us the the bottom line, if you will. He shows us the bottom line of of these issues. Why do the people have indifferent hearts to the Word preached? Why do they have hollow religious pomp and circumstance? Why do they go through the motions of religion without really having a heart that's changed? And it's because this is so descriptive language, because their hearts are diamond hard. Their hearts are, are diamond hard. That is, that is the, the disease, if you will. The, the other things, the indifference and... And, and the, the outward motions of religion, the empty motions of the religion, they're, they're just the symptoms, if you will. Uh, you know, if you have a sinus infection, you have, a, uh, you have nasal congestion, and you have headaches, and you have a cough, those are the symptoms of the disease, the disease here for the people. The reason why they don't want to fast any longer it's because they have hard hearts. And that's the real problem. You know, the real problem as I've already stated is not just they were doing outward religious observances in verses 4 and 6. The 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 problem wasn't that their their ethical behavior needed to be modified improving upon in verses 7 through 10. What's urgent here for the people that Zechariah preaches to is that they needed new hearts. They needed hearts of stone to be replaced with hearts of flesh. And the reason why we say that there is much spiritual danger in having a hard heart, by being indifferent to the word preached, to going through the the outward motions of religion, why is that dangerous? Well, Well, the Lord actually tells us. If you look down at verse 13, there's really two dangers for us very quickly. In verse 13, there's one danger. It says, as I called, this is the Lord speaking, as I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear. That that might shock you a little bit. It shocks me. I'll be honest with you, it, it really shakes me up that the Lord says here, you know what, if they wouldn't hear me as I called them to repentance and faith by the prophets that came before the exile to Babylon, if they wouldn't hear me as they asked for leniency in the captivity of Babylon, I'm going to turn my ear from them. Now, beloved, this should encourage you because if you're a child of God and you hear it most Wednesday nights, the Lord delights in your prayers. The Lord bends an ear from heaven to listen to your prayers, but if you have a hard heart, if you have a hard heart, the Lord will not hear as you ask for leniency. You know, it reminds me of that that scene in the Gospels where, where the rich young ruler is asking for the Lord to allow Lazarus to just drop his tongue with a little quench of water and the Lord will not allow it. Why is that? Why is that? Well it's because it's because the the young ruler the rich man had hardened his heart against the Lord. Has done exactly the opposite of what the Lord had called for the people to do here. He had despised the least of these like the beggar Lazarus. And so the Lord turns his ear from them, as he says there in verse 13. But even worse, if it could get any worse, even worse in verse 14. And he says, And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, and so that no one went to and fro. Well, of course, as the prophet Isaiah was prophesying this, he was speaking of the exile into Babylon that would last 70 years. But as the Lord, Jesus Christ, speaks these words to us tonight, it's a, a call for faith and repentance, but it's not a call that you might be exiled for seven decades. Because we know that in the mercy of the Lord, He is holding out the gospel freely to anyone who would repent and believe. But there will be a day. And the coming of the kingdom that we've read about in chapters 1-6 through six is already has already described this. There will be a day where the kingdom of God is ushered in, and all of those who have hardened hearts against the Lord, they will be exiled into the fiery flames of hell for all eternity. They will be excluded from the presence of God in hell forever. You might say, well, Matt, that's alarming. It should be alarming. It should be alarming, because what the Lord's trying to do is to alert you to the danger Alert you to the danger, the dangers of what? Well, here in chapter 7, it's a bunch of people who profess that they belong to the Lord, but they live like the world. And so what Zechariah chapter 7 is really trying to make us do here is to examine ourselves, to, to really search our hearts and say, am I worshiping the Lord in the splendor of holiness from my heart? Am I going through the trappings of religion? Am I indifferent to the Word of God? Or or am I really focusing upon my Savior, striving to live for Him day by day? Is my heart really trusting in Jesus? Has my heart been truly made new by His grace? Does my life bear the good fruit of a changed heart? Does my life reveal that I belong to Jesus? Because the warnings here in Zechariah chapter 7 are, are, quite, are quite difficult to wrestle with. Because as, as one commentator says, he says, church membership is no immunity. Fasting and singing and praying provide no immunity. A changed heart is what we need. And only Jesus can give it to us. And so would you flee to Christ even this night? He will give you a changed heart. You see, the the Word of God in verse 7 that went out amongst these people and hardened their hearts is the same Word that can soften yours even now. The Puritan Thomas Watson says, it's the sun that dries up the clay to make it hard as a boulder, and it's the same sun that melts the ice so that it might be liquefied into the purest of water. Let the Word establish itself within your heart. Receive it with meekness and believe in the gospel let's pray father in heaven we do thank you for this message lord and we pray that we would not be those who just go through the outward trappings of religion but that we would have real changed hearts in thee and that our changed hearts lord would push us to true and to spiritual worship that our changed hearts would allow us to receive the implanted word of god as it's read and preached And a changed heart would give us an assurance of our salvation for all eternity. Lord, let us be those who do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Let us not devise evil against one another in our hearts, but let us pay careful attention to the Word. May we walk closely with Christ and beg for the Spirit to make our hearts as soft as could be so that we might live unto righteousness. Let us hear, let us believe, and let us live out this word as the Spirit enables us to do so. We ask these things in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well. If you'll...